Welcome to the Told Me podcast series to learn and develop for medical educators from the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine. This podcast is for busy medical school faculty who want to expand their knowledge in teaching. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Coplett, and I will bring you interviews with experts in medical education, fellow faculty, and medical students to discuss the issues most relevant to today's medical educators. Today, we're talking about how we can be effective teachers even in our busiest moments. In particular, how we can do this in the ambulatory setting. On those days in your practice when you're scheduled to see a new patient every 20 minutes, double booked, and someone needs to go to the ED. When you're making sure you're taking great care of every person waiting inside of an exam room to see you, and you have a medical student with you who's eager to learn. How do you teach on those days, and how do you do it well? Today, we have the benefit of getting a couple of different perspectives and recommendations from two of Netter's outstanding clinical educators who regularly teach students in their ambulatory practices. Dr. Namitha Wijesekra is a pediatrician at Child and Adolescent Healthcare in Woodbridge and New Haven, Connecticut. She's a faculty member at Yale University School of Medicine and here at Netter. At Netter, she teaches in several roles. She is the faculty advisor for the Pediatric Interest Group and teaches in Foundations of Clinical Care, our year one and two doctoring course, and the Medical Student Home Program, where a student goes to her practice a half day a week to learn history taking, clinical skills, clinical reasoning, and all aspects of clinical care. Dr. Josh Mosdale is the Associate Medical Director for Quality at Trinity Health of New England Medical Group. He practices internal medicine at Prospect Primary Care Partners. He is also a faculty member here at Netter and also teaches in the Medical Student Home Program. Namitha and Josh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. I doubt there's a day in your practices when you don't feel busy. But on those particularly busy days, when you also have a medical student with you, how do you approach teaching so that you're serving the needs of both your patients and your learners. Namitha, do you want to start? Sure, Lisa. Thank you. So uh, I have to say that it's Murphy's Law. On a day that I have a medical student, for some reason, the office tends to be very busy. And it's great for the medical student, but in the end, we have to make sure that everybody is benefiting from this the patient, the student who's eager to learn, and ourselves as teachers and mentors also should be getting a good experience out of this. I think ideally on a day that's not too crazy, I love to send my student into the patient room on their own. I would like them to go into the patient room, get the patient's history, uh, the chief complaint, any pertinent past medical history, I'd like them to do their own physical exam and come out of the room, take a couple of minutes to themselves. And the reason I prefer this manner is that I like for them to do a brief oral presentation to me in terms of the history and pertinent uh, physical exam findings. At that moment, we may quickly discuss uh, the top couple of differentials that are kind of floating around in the student's mind and have a brief discussion and then enter the patient room together and exam, examine the patient together and uh, discuss what we're going to do with the patient. On a busy day, that doesn't always work. We could be having patients waiting in the waiting room. And if I send a patient in on their own, 
they tend to take a bit longer than the attending to see a patient. So if I send them in, we may be getting backed up. So on those days, I prefer to have the student and I go into the room together. We may talk briefly about what the patient is here for. And in this way, I actually let the medical student lead the whole history on their own so that I can actually observe them. I don't always have that luxury to observe them. If we're in two separate rooms, they may come back and tell me the history, but I may not be actually be able to observe their history, taking communication skills. So in this way, I'm directly observing them. And then the next part that works well together as well, it's different than the student being in the room alone. But if I'm with the student, we can do the physical exam together. And I think that's also really helpful to the student because they can pick up on maybe different nuances that I have in my physical exam that may be different than the students. And um, we examine the patient together. If the student is up for it, if I feel like the student has a pretty good knowledge base and I've had the student for some time and I'm familiar with their uh, fund of knowledge, I may ask them in front of the patient, so what are you thinking? What do you think this patient has? And I feel like in that aspect, sometimes the, the patient really enjoys that because they can kind of almost visualize what we're thinking and what are the different thoughts that have come to our mind. So we may discuss a differential diagnosis. If I don't feel like the student is ready for that or maybe intimidated by that thought, I may do the teaching in the room with the student. And I feel like, again, the student and the patient may benefit from that encounter. There's a lot of interesting pieces in there, Namita. So one is, first of all, that's the fact that you brought up that patients like bedside teaching. And there's been multiple studies that show this, right? Because so often they they feel like there's something that's not being told to them, right? It all feels very transparent to them. And they also, I think, want to know that we're we're really thinking, like that we're really um, you know, putting our minds to what's going on with them. So that's such a good point. So I think it's really interesting that when time is shorter for you. You're taking the observation approach because so many of us would say, oh, because my time is short, I don't have time to observe, right? So I think that's really interesting that, that you're finding that that's actually more time-saving sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then the only other point I want to make to that is what's also interesting about that is that one of the one of the areas in which uh, clinical, facu- clinical faculty um, struggle is finding the time to observe. And yet observation is the only way that we can give appropriate, valid, reliable feedback to learners so that they can improve. So it's such a great opportunity. So so I would love to hear, um, Josh, what you think about Namitha's approach and then it, what approach do you use? No, I think I use a lot of the exact same tools in the toolbox. Um, and I love the, I, you know, observing the, the interaction with the student and the patient. Um, I think it's always, you know, very important when the patient comes in. I usually have my medical assistant address it immediately, just saying, you know, Dr. Mosdell has a medical student today. Is that okay with you? And once they say yes, then I think that all those avenues are just open now. And one of the things I sometimes like to do is let's say you have a patient who's double booked or something's busy. If you can strategically pick a patient who you know is going to do well with a medical student, sometimes you say, why don't you, and I think it's very important to make sure that the student has direction and feels kind of comforted by saying, these are the things I want you to do. 
instead of just saying, go in the room and figure out Mrs. Smith, because that's too much. Mm -hmm. But if you say, you know what, why don't you see Mrs. Smith? She's here for hypertension and she has a history of also heart failure. I want you to look at these following things and do this following exam and have a conversation with her. And then while you're doing that, I may see a different patient who I know will be quick and I can do that. Or I can do maybe another task that has to happen so that two things are happening at once. Maybe multiple patients are being seen at once. And then maybe I can finish up with Mrs. Smith and do some bedside teaching there. And everyone kind of has a good interaction. And then we move on to the next patient together. And we're all kind of caught up at that point rather than in divergent directions sometimes. Well, that that's a brilliant approach, too, because what you're doing is by your your um consolidating all the complexity right of, of the patient too down down into that down into that one liner of the major issues for which the patient's there that day which is often really hard for an early medical learner to do right so you have a, a female who's this old and she's coming in and she's here for hypertension and x-ray this is what I want you to focus on and then do you also give them a task so, yeah, I want you to do her exam, but then do you tell do you ever tell them I want you to think about X, right? To come to you with a a plan about a spe- something specific? Yeah, so I think that, you know, you may say for example, let's say Mrs. Smith has a history of heart failure, and I know that she has struggled with um volume. So, I want you to definitely look at her lower extremities. I want you to do her pulmonary exam. We can then use that as an opportunity to talk about all the various ways we examine patients with heart failure, remind them it's more of a clinical diagnosis and they don't necessarily need an echo to do something, and then incorporate that into some bedside teaching so you can also teach the patient. Um, And then you can also direct the patient or the uh, student to say, hey, I want you to do these things and then have a little bit of a plan when we talk a little bit about what you might do for these things and why you might do it. And keep it limited so that they're not kind of trying to figure out heart failure as an entire approach, uh, which could be too broad and overwhelming. Yeah, that that's really that's really really helpful. It is broad and overwhelming for early learners. And I know we're talking right now about first and second years, and we can talk about you know years three and four too. Um, uh, but but in thinking about those early learners, that is so helpful. And you know, so often we year one and twos we say go do the whole history and physical. But there's so much to be learned by occasionally having them do that more advanced, focused history and physical because they need to learn about that along the way as well. That's great. Um, so, so let's also think about: Is there? Do you think there's a benefit, like a a benefit, a true benefit in any way to the students on those really busy days? So, like that's one example. Right. The one example is they get to practice, let's say, a focus history and physical. Um, Do you think there's anything that they learn along those same lines that they might not otherwise get to see or experience if they didn't have those extra busy days? I think that one of the most important things that we do as physicians teaching students, and sometimes I think we forget it because it's just part of who we are, is that we're modeling things for students, too. And they watch us and they see how we approach things and they see if a really busy day we get overwhelmed and we get stressed or we react that this is, hey, a normal part of practice. And we take our time, even though we are busy and stressed, and we can kind of 
model, I think, very good clinical behavior in the way that we approach patients and make sure that they're seen and heard and get all the things that they need out of the visits, even though it's busy. And I think that when the students take away that, it also kind of decreases some of their fear as they move forward in years three and four when they know they get busier, or being a resident when they know it's going to be really busy. And they feel like they can do it because they've seen it be done and they've been a part of that. And that's sometimes reassuring for them. That makes a lot of sense. So letting them see the realities of practice, right? And then how it's handled and using that as a chance to role model. That makes so much sense. Namita, do you have any thoughts about that? So thanks, Lisa. I agree with everything Josh has said. I think the real benefit for medical students seeing us busy is that that's actually what real life is. That is real life primary care medicine. I have to think back to my own residency years. Uh, I trained at a program in Boston, which had a primary care focus, but also was probably more tertiary based. We had our resident clinics and most of our colleagues who were in that program or in other primary care medicine programs had continuity clinics where most residents would one day a week or half day a week go to their continuity clinic and take care of their patients. It was a very peaceful environment. Maybe we saw four, five patients in an afternoon. We had all the time in the world to take care of these patients. And we did that. I did that over my three years of my pediatric residency. And I don't think that coming from my, my program, I probably didn't have a good sense of what real life primary care medicine would be like. And I moved to the West Coast and worked for a big HMO where I started my job. And on my first day as a primary care attending, I saw 38 patients. So I had gone from my four to five patients to 38. And the reason I remember that number is that I left that day and I cried. I really cried. And I thought to myself, there is no way I can do this. How do I have 15 minutes for a runny nose, a seizure, and a mini emergency room down the hallway where I'm hydrating my dehydrated patient. And it was truly eye-opening. And I feel like if I, as a first or second year, or even third or fourth year medical student, had the ability to work in a primary care office with a pediatrician or an internist, maybe I'd be more aware or ready for uh, primary care medicine in real life. So I find that that's uh, a real benefit for students to see us on a busy day is that they get to see us in action. And I feel like it's Murphy's Law on a busy day. When we're having a busy day, not only are we having a busy day with patients, we for some reason are getting bombarded that day with abnormal lab results that have to be responded to that day. We're getting calls from the emergency room. We are getting messages that, that a patient needs a call back in a couple of hours. So for some reason, it happens to be that day where everything is happening at once. Uh, and as on those busy days, we have to show our medical students that we can both multitask and prioritize. And that's really the art of a good primary care pediatrician or internist that we are being bombarded on all sides with different things that have to be addressed. But how do we prioritize and how do we multitask? Um, so I think they really do benefit on those busy days. The other thing that I wanted to just add also in terms of busy days, I feel like on those busy days, I may do more on the spot constructive feedback, because if I can kind of 
have an idea that my day is going to be busy, I may say to the student when they first walk in, I may address that day and say, today's going to be really busy. So what are some things that you would like to get out of today? Are there certain things that you would like to work on? And if there are certain things that we can incorporate into the day, then the student can leave that session feeling like some of their goals were addressed. And because they gave me a goal, I can give on-the-spot constructive feedback after we leave the patient room and say, hey, that went really well. You said you wanted to work on percussion of the lungs. So you did a really great job on that. There's one piece of advice I may have for you is that, you know, when you do the percussion, maybe you hyperextend your your finger more and get a have more, you know, flexion in your wrist. For example. That this is like I, we're I feel like we're we're getting a like a, a how to the like the best of ambulatory medical student teaching. These are such great ideas. So, one, I hear role model. And so part of role model like we have to remember that the that the student and the residents, right? When you have residents that that medical nurses, they're watching us. They're watching everything we do. We're watching the good stuff. They're watching the bad stuff, and they're deciding whether they want to be that person or not, right? Or you know, take certain pieces and not. So that's really important to keep in mind, right? That how we handle those busy moments is being watched, and we want to be our best best role model. Um, I hear have this have the student focus their own learning by asking them what they want to what they want to get out of the day it's going to be busy i'm going to give you focused feedback how can i best help you i mean students beg for this you know focused feedback right so that's actually what we talked about how can it end up being a even better experience that's a fantastic idea we talked about focusing the student before they go in with the patient on their own summarizing the patient's um, issues for them, and then specifically sort of tasking them with what you want them to do so that they can be efficient before they've learned to be naturally efficient. We talked about observing from the get-go, and sometimes that can actually be more efficient than we think in our teaching, right? So these are all such great ideas. Thank you both. So what about when we think about specific teaching skills? So are there specific teaching methods that you use when time is really limited. All the things we talked about, by the way, are teaching methods. So I'm thinking about things like, um, can we add on to those? Like, do you think about asking questions that stimulate clinical reasoning, you know, sort of beyond the simple recall question? Do you use the one-minute preceptor technique? You know, th- things like that. Like, so are there are specific teaching techniques that you might say. Let's t- let's say to a, a junior faculty member who just started taking students. You know, here are some really helpful teaching techniques in your ambulatory practice. Sure, I, I like the idea of clinical reasoning for me personally, and the reason I like it is because medicine is essentially not that complicated sometimes, in the sense that. We should know how something functions, and usually that function is kind of straightforward when you kind of think about it. Then all the things that can make that from not functioning correctly, and then how we can correct that. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. Some of the recall things, I think, can become complicated for the student because maybe they didn't learn that already, or maybe they kind of start feeling down about themselves because they don't remember all the, I guess I'll do heart failure again, New York uh, Heart Association all the different classes of it. I don't remember all of them, but I do understand why there's a problem. And ultimately, 
using kind of that logic and reasoning helps you identify what's the problem and how can I fix it for the student necessarily in layman's terms. And then we can build off that structure. And I think if you challenge them too much sometimes and kind of ask for these one second recall or just give me the right answer. And if you don't have it, you're not doing a good job. Then they just feel a little beaten down and discouraged, whereas they can reason through it and they can reason through anything and they become a much better clinician. And recalls and, and recall knowledge is important. Um, there's certainly some things that we just have to have under our belt all the time. But we're also learning that, you know, with the explosion of information, much of the recall knowledge that we need, we can look up. But yeah. but clinical reasoning isn't something you can look up because an algorithm isn't going to to help. You can't apply an algorithm to every patient, right? So so that makes a lot of sense. Um, Namitha, what are some teaching methods that you like to use when time is tight? So I agree with Josh again. I'm agreeing with him at all points today. I love the clinical reasoning as well. I feel like the little minutia um, that students have to memorize in a time of stress when maybe we ask them something, they may forget. And again, it's probably very different than the times than we when we trained. We didn't have maybe information at our fingertips, but they do. So I think the clinical reasoning is really important. Um, I really like to spend a lot of time when we've seen a patient together or if the student has come out and presented to me, I love to talk about differential diagnosis. And I like to work on that because I want them to know that it's not that complicated always. And I think it, this kind of melds in with the whole clinical reasoning aspect. We've learned many different uh, mnemonics for coming up with differentials. But I think when we're in the clinical setting, I like to go system-based. I think it. I have the student kind of, so if I have a six-year-old child that comes in with a sore throat, I'll tell my student, okay, take a step back. I want you to actually think about this patient with a sore throat and not think of it as a medical student. So if we're trying to think about you know, pertinent positives and negatives, maybe you think about the last time you had a sore throat and what were some of the associated symptoms you had. Don't make it so complicated. So when you had a sore throat, maybe it was during seasonal allergy time, like right now. Did you have stuffy nose, sneezing, itchy eyes? Did you have a fever? Did you have fatigue when you were an adolescent and had a sore throat? Did you have associated belly pain? Were there Was there anybody in your house or friends that were sick? So take a step back when you're doing the interview to think of maybe some pertinent positives and negatives. I think that's one the pertinent positive and negatives is something I feel like many medical students get stumped on. So I tell them that you don't have to have this medical knowledge. Just take a step back and think of it as a layman. What are some things you had or somebody in your family had associated with it? And then when we delve into the differential diagnosis, I kind of do it again in a very simple way. I say, okay, this six-year-old has sore throat. They have pain in their throat. So think of where the throat is on the body. Look at the patient and think of all the different systems that could be attached to that sore throat. You can have the head, ears, eyes, nose, and throat. You can have things in the neck. You can have the pulmonary system. You can have the GI system affected with it. So there you go. Right there, you have maybe four to five differentials that pop up, and it's all kind of commonsensical. It's not so complicated. So I like to use that kind of approach with them when I'm in the clinic setting is to use like a system based. Whereas when we're during our foundations of clinical medicine, we may go into something a little bit more complicated than that. 
Namita and Josh, that all makes a lot of sense. I think those are such great ideas for helping the students learn in really busy moments. Namita, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this next question. We'll start with you. Um, we know it takes extra time to teach when we're already busy, and we know it's an important responsibility, but let's talk about what teaching gives back to us personally and professionally. I know that you both love to teach. So what does teaching give back to you? So for example, is there anything you learn or you gain on those very busy days when you have a student um, versus the days that you don't have a student? So Lisa, that's a great question. I think to be an effective teacher, you have to be passionate at, at teaching. And I think that teaching gives back so much to me. And probably one of the main things is that it keeps me current and it keeps me sharp. Um, I have to be up to date with all the recent studies. I have to be up to date with the clinical practice guidelines and the clinical pathways, which are evidence-based. And I wonder sometimes if I didn't have a student, would I become lazy or kind of stuck in my ways and not have to be current? Um, I also feel like I have to be sharp with my physical exam skills. I have to think to myself when I'm mentoring a student or they're watching me, am I doing it correctly because they're watching me so closely and how will I teach them the proper technique? And it may be something that's a rare patient that comes in with something, you know, pulling out of your toolbox, one of those things that maybe you don't use every day, such as a child that comes in with appendicitis. And then you have to think about McBurney's point and where is that? And how do you do the obturator sign? And how do you check for appendicitis? So those things really those situations keep you kind of current and on your toes. And I feel like the reason to teach is also, I feel like it's my duty. It's my duty to train the next generation of pediatricians. And I actually remember some wonderful mentors I had when I was a medical student and a resident that made me want to go into pediatrics. I can honestly picture their faces and their smiling faces and what they taught me they really gave me that bug for pediatrics. And I hope that maybe I can give that bug to somebody and have them want to go into pediatrics. It's a great field. And I'm to sure- inspire. Josh, yeah, to inspire. And I'm sure yeah. Josh will talk about his bug for internal medicine. And um, I just want to give back to my students like I was given when I was a medical student. And the last part of it is that it's very rewarding, especially with the way- Netter has formed the MESH program, which is the Medical Student Home Program. It is a two-year structure where we basically start with a student in their first year of medical school. They may be coming in with little to no medical knowledge, or they may have some medical background. Many of them are scribes or worked as a paramedic. But whatever that medical knowledge is, to kind of really see them blossom and grow in that two years is really mind boggling. I mean, you're given this blank slate. It's a person that maybe has no clinical skills in this and you can mold them to kind of really become this amazing clinician. They leave us to embark on their third year of medical school where they're gonna be on a team on the internal medicine ward or the pediatric ward and they're gonna be taking care of their own patients. And um, my goal with students is if they want to get there, I tell them that, my job at the end of this two years is that I want you to walk onto that clinical ward 
And I want you to wow everybody. I want you to do that first presentation and have everybody's jaw drop and say, where did this student come from? So that's really my goal. If you want to get there, we'll get there. So it's really rewarding. That's all I can say. I, I, I love to teach. And when you have that really nice synergy with a student that allows you to give constructive feedback and doesn't take it personally, and you really see them grow on a week to week week basis, there's nothing like it. And, and it just, and it just so happens, of course, too, that you're both mesh preceptors, but every single thing we've talked about today, I see as a hundred percent applicable to year three and year four. It, the only thing that's different, right, is, is, the maybe the the complexity level of the conversation or the depth to which you sort of push them in their clinical reasoning. Um, but they're still working really hard on their clinical skills and they still yeah. need um they still need focused feedback and to self-assess their learning and you know all of these pieces. Um so I guess I just wanted to make that point, you know, that that um that it's just relevant all the way through clinical learning. So those were great things to think about in terms of what we get back. Josh, do you have anything else to add to that? I completely agree with everything. And I would, you know, my kind of thought about it is why, why did we go into medicine? Why did we do it? And I think we all did it because it's a cool job and we get to help people. And that's what we wanted to do. And you don't get to just help patients. You get to help learners. You get to be a leader in front of your staff. You're a role model in your community. And these are all things that you get to teach your student. And on days when I'm really busy, and sometimes, let's be honest, a busy day can drag you down because it just feels like a mass of humanity that you're trying to help and there's not enough time or resources. Sometimes it's nice to have a student because it reminds you that, hey, this is a cool job. We get to teach people stuff and (laughs) students get to grow with us and we can be mentors to them and prepare them for third and fourth year and they're going to keep doing it. Maybe they become teachers and it's a great thing to do. And that, I think sometimes when you're a little down, maybe it's a hard day, you should remind yourself that you have the opportunity to do this and it's awesome. So let them inspire us and as we try to inspire them. I agree. That's great. And you remind me, you both reminded me, you know, that the word doctor comes from the Latin docere, which means to teach. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all about that. And I hear you guys both saying that paying it forward feels great. Yeah. Um, Josh and Namita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Um, it was a great conversation and I really value having these moments to learn from each other about how to do what we do better. Thank Thanks, you. Lisa. I'm Lisa Coplet. Thanks for listening and check out our next podcast where I'll be having a very similar conversation with Dr. Scott Kurtzman and David Regelman. Dr. Regelman is a hospitalist in internal medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center the Internal Medicine Residency Program Director and Director of our fourth year internal medicine sub-internship for Netter. And Dr. Scott Kurtzman is Chair of Surgery and the Residency Program Director at Waterbury Hospital, and he's also our Assistant Dean for Graduate Medical Education. I'll be talking to them about teaching in the inpatient setting and strategies they've found really useful on those busy days. I'd like to thank the people who contributed to this show, Katie Lyons, our fabulous producer, and David DeRoche, our program director. For more information on other faculty development opportunities at Netter, email katie.lyons, K-A-T-I-E dot L-Y-O-N-S at Q-U For more information on all of Quinnipiac's podcast, visit Q-U slash podcast. 
Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts.